Welcome to this week's Your Rights at Work. I'm Chris Garlick, and whoa, Ed Smith is back. Brother Smith, good to see you. Hey, wasn't I here last week? <laughs> I, yeah. I can't remember. I can't believe it's the end of July anyway. So, you know, anyway, yeah. good to be All right. Uh, why don't you go ahead and share the phone number, and then we have got a great show lined up for folks, and I will tell them all about it in just a second. But first, uh, let's do, do, uh, do the Ed Smith thing. Looking forward to another great show. And uh, once again, we want to thank everybody who's been uh, supporting the station. Thank you. Thank you. Really appreciate your uh, listening. And we love your calls. So please give us a call if you've got questions about your rights at work. Uh, You know, what rights you want to have, what rights you don't know whether you have or not. uh, Questions you might have for me. Uh, 202-588-0893. Again, that's 202-588-0893. 0893. Oh, and you can ask Chris questions too. I didn't mean <laughs> good luck with oh. that. <laughs> anyway, we got a great show today, Chris. You want to uh, kind of kick it off? Yes, sir. Saturday uh, at noon at uh, Denizen's Brewing. Um, so if you were looking to uh, maybe cool down and get a, a brew, this would be the place to go. Labor Notes is hosting a DC get together, and this is following up on the hugely successful conference I was there uh, last month in Chicago. Over four thousand, and and I tell you, there were so many, and we were packed in like sardines. I wasn't counting, but there was definitely a lot of folks, and they. Uh, they gather to figure out, among other things, the next steps for building worker power across the country. And that's going to be uh, this Saturday, 12 noon at Denison's. Now, joining us to tell us more about this uh, is Labor Note staff writer and organizer, Jonah Furman, who covers auto workers and airlines for Labor Notes. And he's based uh, right here in Silver Spring, Maryland. So welcome to your rights of work, Jonah. Thanks for having me. It was a great show. Well, I am so excited uh, about this local get together. Uh, you know, we had such a great time out there in Chicago, um, and you know, it was a long drive. Me and the, uh, the 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 podcast crew drove out there, did a whole bunch of interviews of folks. Really, really exciting. And, and now we don't have to drive any farther than Denison's over in Silver Spring. So, <laughs> thanks for that. Yeah, of course. Yeah, we're glad to bring people back together you know for people who came to the conference there's just a lot of feeling of there's a lot of magic there in Chicago of people doing trainings panels just networking getting to know people across the union movement especially member to member so people who work a job all day and are active in their local union and want to see what's going on with other members in the labor movement so for people who are there it's sort of a reunion and for people who didn't make it, it's sort of a, what is this? What is this labor notes movement? What is this group of union members? You know, it's one of the only places where rank and file activists can go just get to know what's going on in other shops, learn from other, if you're a shop steward, learn from other shop stewards. If you're an organizer in your workplace, learn what other people are doing and also just connect, just create a space where union members can feel like we have some community, we have some connection and we're sort of pushing for a a labor movement that can like that other call you were saying with Sarah Nelson and them that can meet this moment. What are we gonna do to make our unions ready 
for whatever whatever we're going through right now. That's Jonah Furman. He's a staff writer and organizer with Labor Notes. Jonah, don't go away. Where phones are lighting up already, we want to get that going. So, uh, Mike, let's let's jump right to the phone. So, what's what's your name and what are you calling hey, about? Chris, the caller dropped. Oh no, the call. I was trying to get to the caller. All right, call back. Call back. Two zero two five eight eight zero eight nine three. Uh, we'll take your calls on your rights at work and also on that uh, survey about the issues that you care most about. So give us a call back. Two zero two five eight eight zero eight nine three. All right, back to Labor Note staff writer and organizer Jonah Furman. We're talking about the get together uh, Saturday, July thirtieth, twelve noon at Denizens Brewing Company. Jonah, give people a little bit and it was such a packed packed event um and and I, you know ed and i saw each other at the aflco convention which you know has a particular flavor to it and and saw a lot of folks that we know uh very exciting electing our first uh, woman president uh and then for me to go from that you know to chicago uh, you know, a very, a very different uh, vibe. These were really a lot of rank and file. Uh, well, I think you call yourself proudly, you know, troublemakers. Yeah, exactly. I mean, a lot of what we're trying to focus on is people who are union members or this year, especially people who are in the Amazon movement or Starbucks workers, you know, basically trying to push the labor movement to do more, to strike more, to organize more, to bring in more people, all these things that all, you know, we talk about in the union movement, how do we grow? How do we get more aggressive? How do we meet, uh, you know, young people where they're at? All these questions are very alive at Labor Notes. And our goal is to help people who aren't maybe in an elected position, still find a way to be a part of that conversation, connect with other workers who are thinking about it, and organize to to mix it up. How do you, you know, if your union is not doing enough, how do you push it to do more? If your union is doing great work, how do you make that work stronger and bring in more members in that process? So that's what we're all about. And mostly, again, it's about creating a space where members really do get to be in the driver's seat, you know, talk to people uh, who are organizing like you in their own workplace and learn from each other. Well, John, that's uh, some real interesting and good stuff. And I think it's really important that uh, uh, this movement uh, is trying to get some wheels under it. Uh, I know it's been an issue for you know decades, basically, that a lot of the problems from labor is because of the top-down driven approach often. Um, I know from someone who represents uh, nurses, so, and, and it's a small local in DC, about 2000, um, one of the difficulties is getting your members active and getting them to support uh, organizing efforts. Um, I think what I'm really encouraged about, especially with Starbucks, is the uh, number of them that have organized and then and the huge amount of victories that we've had. Um, and a lot of that is driven by a lot of younger people. Um, what do you think's changed from maybe, I mean, is it part pandemic? Is it part just a number of people get coming of age and realizing that, uh, you know, we do have rights and if we stand up for them, I mean, what, what's uh, in your thoughts about that? Yeah, I mean, one of the things I think about is how we've seen in our whole society things get shaken up. Official politics and the Democratic Party and the Republican Party are getting shaken up. You had Occupy, you had all these things that shook people up. And that's happening in the union movement too and in the workplace too. I think the 
the union movement can be a little slower to sort of incorporate that and bring that in. But the Starbucks workers are, are just like the people who are on the Bernie campaign or who have agitated and, in, in, you know, who are in the George Floyd marches, all of these things. It's the same thing. It's just coming into the workplace and into the unions. And the question is, how do we how do we move on that? Hey, Jonah, hold that thought. I think we've got a caller. Uh, caller, if you want to uh, identify yourself, where you're calling from and give us your question or comment. Thanks. My name is Mario Showers. I had worked at the Washington Post between 70 and 76 when I was fired from the paper. So I went to my union, the Washington Baltimore Newspaper Guild, and filed a grievance. A big white man came down from New York City, the American Arbitration Association, uh, arbitrator G. Allen Dash, to preside over three days of hearings staggered over 1975 and possibly the early part of 1976. At the conclusion of the three days of hearings, but before the ruling, I was fired on August 12th, 1976, four months mm. later in December of 1976, the arbitrator ruled in the case. He ordered the, he ordered the Washington Post then under the command of the ownership of uh, Catherine Meyer Graham and Donald Graham, he ordered the paper to pay me $6,000 in differential back pay. So I, I say all that, all that to say, so I'm a little upset with a number of things. One, why it took two years to go through an arbitration process. Thanks so much for calling. Let me get Ed to, to give us some insight. Uh, into the arbitration process? Well, arbitration, as many of you know out there, is, is the, the court process in many respects in labor agreements between the employer and the employees. It's been around for quite some time. Now, I wasn't around, and well, I was around in the 70s. I just was not of age to be a union attorney uh, in 76. Um, but I will say this, uh, three days of hearing um, means that the union really, and, and you obviously must have had a good strong hand in this, really took the case seriously. Um, three days of hearing is, is a, a lot of work, and it's a lot of witnesses, a lot of documents, I'm sure. Um, the process of arbitration can be very, very frustrating and very uh, difficult to get moving forward. Number one, to schedule it. Uh, when you have an arbitration, it's uh, unlike, a, unlike a court hearing, uh, a judge can pretty much order a date for a hearing, uh, a trial. Uh, an arbitrator can't really order that. It's, it really is to make sure, it really is uh, uh, dependent upon the scheduling of witnesses, the attorneys that represent the union, the attorneys that represent the employer, the grievant himself or herself, uh, the arbitrator. Um, so scheduling is the first obstacle. And if you've got three days of hearing, that means three days that you've got to schedule. Sometimes they can be scheduled concurrently, sometimes they're scheduled over time. Then once the arbitration hearing finishes, you've got to write briefs. I don't know if they wrote briefs uh, in this case back 50 years ago, but that's the norm here today. And the briefs, briefing schedules can be anywhere from 30 to 60 days after you receive the transcripts. Then you wait on the arbitrator. So um, it's not unusual for cases to go on for at least a year, even two years. Um, it is, it's the best we've got in many respects. Um, I know that a lot of uh, um, local unions utilize um, 
cases of disparate treatment or cases that are egregious with their employees as part of a public campaign. Um, so not only are you litigating it through arbitration, you might be using your brothers and sisters to support you in, you know, marches on the boss's office, different things like that. Um, so it is problematic. Hey, listen, folks, 202-588-0893. If you've got questions, as Ed said, about the rights you have, that rights you don't have, the rights you wish you had. Uh, and look, we don't care if it's a 50-year-old case. We will talk about it. Uh, Jonah, I want to get back to you because I know that you cover uh, auto, uh, all things auto and auto workers. And uh, I believe the UAW has got their convention going on this week, which I imagine uh, you are probably playing close attention to um and and there's a couple of things that i know about it and you can share because i'm sure you know a lot more uh this is the first time they that members are able to vote directly uh which in this day and age of all of the fuss over voting (laughs) i think is kind of notable do you want to talk a little bit about that yeah this is i mean it's 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 a historic convention i feel like people say that a lot about national union conventions but this one in the uaw is really really historic. Um, Like you said, they just won the right to vote in a referendum. For people who don't know, over the past 10 years or so, there's been an extreme huge corruption scandal at the top of the UAW with two former presidents going to jail and a lot of arrests and things like that. So there was a consent decree that from the federal government saying, you got to clean up this this union. The members need real representation. We can't have corruption at the top. Um, And I'm sure people who are listening to this know that union corruption is very rare, but when it happens, it has to be, you know, it can't, it can't be accepted. So they instituted a few changes, one of which was a referendum on should we go to a direct voting system? Basically, should every member of the UAW who pays dues get to vote on the national leadership? So let me just stop you there because because, I'm curious, how did they do it before? So before, like a lot of unions, um, it was a delegated convention. So you'll elect a delegate or the, the local president and your local will be a delegate and they'll go elect the president at a national convention Uh so this this differs at different unions in some unions this happens and it's more or less you know somewhat representative because the delegate elections feel you know members feel like they're electing delegates who are really representing them in some unions there's just a long history of the delegates are people who are directly basically being told what to do by the national leadership so you would have national elections where people are getting elected by 99.9% of the vote. And if you're nominating someone else, you get literally, they would bring noisemakers and boo you out of the room. You know, in the seventies, they used to beat you up, but now it's just, you know, just shout you down. So there was clearly like a problem at the top of the union of there's no democracy here. There's no, you know, nobody runs against the incumbents. And if they do, it's a joke, you know? Um, So this year they will vote in the fall on direct elections. I mean, they'll vote in direct elections. They they voted to move to that system last fall. And now they, in October, they will vote directly on who they want to lead the union. And they also made it so that the nomination process is really easy to get on that ballot. You just need two delegates at the convention out of it, about 900 or 1,000 oh, wow. to nominate you to get on the ballot. So there is going to be a real choice for working you know, UAW members to make a decision on who they want to lead them. And in that spirit, there's also been just a lot of organizing in the union where different groups of members, especially one group called Unite All Workers for Democracy, UAWD, has 
taken the initiative to say, okay, if we're going to have elections, we need real candidates, we need resolutions on the floor that really change what's going on in the union. So at the convention this week so far, there's been, you know, some resolutions. For the most part, the status quo, you know, incumbent group of leaders is winning many of the resolutions, but notably, for example, yesterday, they just raised their strike pay to $500 a week, which was a big push by striking workers who are at the convention. Um, and that strike pay is going to start on the first day. So various things that these, these groups of members have been pushing for saying, we need to make it easier to strike in this union. We need to fight back more. And looming behind all this is next year's negotiation with the big three automakers. So covering something like a third or a half of the active membership of the union will go into negotiations with Stellantis, GM, and Ford, which is now the big three automakers. And, you know, it's likely to be a big showdown over things like inflation, electric vehicles, and just a dwindling union density in the auto manufacturing sector as new companies like Tesla and, you know, foreign companies continue to expand in the U.S. So they're sort of choosing who's going to go to battle with these big employers. Um, and for the first time, it's not going to just be whoever the incumbent says you're next in line. So who knows? I mean, it could go in a lot of different directions. And, you know, like we've seen in a couple other unions, like in the Teamsters Union, when they got the right to vote in the early 90s, they instantly elected a reform-minded leader, Ron Carey, who led the largest strike of my lifetime, the 1997 UPS strike. So I think the automakers are watching this and saying, are they about to elect someone who's really going to strike us? You know, how 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 intense is this going to get? So I think it's an exciting moment in the union. Um, obviously, it's 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 a very live question what direction leadership is going to go here. Um, but yeah, I'm definitely watching it closely and talking to auto workers who are there. We're talking with Labor Note staff writer and organizer Jonah Furman. He covers auto workers and airlines for Labor Notes, and he's going to be uh, coordinating this uh, get together on Saturday. Well, we're going to take a quick break in just a sec. Uh, Mike's going to cue up a little uh, music, a uh, little inspiring music for us to set up our, our last half. And I know that Ed has a question. Uh, but Jonah, just very quickly before we go to our, our break at the at the half, um, you know, the UAW has just got this storied history as as a really, you know, militant union. I mean, I, you know, I, I do the labor history stuff for Union City and Union City Radio and Half the time when you're talking about militant strikes, it's the auto workers. I, I can't remember the last. Whether well, I guess I'm trying to remember what the, when the last big uh, auto worker strike was. Well, obviously we had John Deere last year, which is a UAW division, right. and in 2019 there was the big General Motors strike. So it's you know it's not it's in living memory, of course. The last contract round there was an aggressive strike, but. But the kinds of strikes there used to be that would really raise a standard, you know, a lot of these strikes have been, Deer was a little different, but GM in 2019 really was mostly defense. It did not expand, you know, the footprint of unionized auto workers in this country. Um, so sort of going on offense is the question. Are they going to be able to do more than just defend the shrinking pie that auto workers have? You know, when you talk about the Walter Ruther days or, you know, even into the 70s, you would have strikes where people were proactively striking for, you know, Ruther was famous for his, uh, you know, wage rises with no cost increases to the consumer. This is a really ambitious bargaining program. Um, you know, things like that, they, they really did used to have a positive program. Here's what the industry should look like. Here's what the middle class, the union uh, standards should look like. Um, so the question is, are they going to 
find a way to be more proactive, especially as the industry changes, right? Electric vehicles is a big deal for the UAW. And are they going to be able to do more than just say, you can't take our work? Can they say, no, we want to be a part of the green transition. We want to have these be good union jobs. If you're going to expand, you know, the battery plants that these companies are developing, there's a big question. They're, they're all announcing plans. We're going to build a battery plant in Tennessee and Kentucky. You know, that is not a good sign for the UAW. The question is, can they organize in the South, in the transplant companies, and in the battery uh, industry? Labor Note staff writer and organizer Jonah Furman. We'll be back with more with Jonah in just a sec. You're listening to Your Rights at Work, WPFW 202-588-0893. If you've got questions, comments, try and stump our, our labor lawyer, Ed Smith. All right, we'll be right back. Get up, stand up, right uh, here on Your Rights at Work. That's a good message for our show, right, Ed Smith? It is. And uh, for those of you in the audience, uh, we are Zooming as we do this show. And I had to, of course, raise the fist at the end of that song. Um, (laughs) You know, Jonah, um, I was thinking about this right as you were finishing up. And it's amazing how we walk the same streets we did 50 years ago. You just finished talking about how we're going to organize in the South. And I just finished a great book on uh, 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 the, the strike down in uh, Memphis back in 68. And the whole thing there was Martin Luther King wanted to use Memphis as a, as a potential launch pad uh, into organizing more in the South. And as part of his Poor People's Campaign, it was tied into all that. And here we are 54 years later talking the same thing. And um, But we've got a younger generation. Hey, look at Richmond, Um, you know, a place where I was went to school nearby uh, 40 years ago. We wouldn't have seen anybody organizing Starbucks in Richmond. So um, my question to you is, I think about the upcoming potential strike, the upcoming negotiations with the big three. If I'm if I'm one of those big three employers, it's very possible I might say, well, you know, if these guys are going to get aggressive on us. Let's beat them to the punch. And when we go to the table, we're going to have wage freezes. We're going to have health care premium cost increases. We're going to maybe go after contracting language and weaken that. Um, so my question is, 
What do you think the likelihood of that approach is? And if that approach is taken, what are the, what are the um, uh, downsides? What are the dangers in taking that tack? Yeah, it's a good question. I mean, to some extent, they already cut the fat over the past 15 years. So starting in 2007, 2009, we had two rounds of negotiations in the big three where they introduced multiple wage tiers. They introduced entire, GM has a self-owned subsidiary that almost struck two weeks ago. That's just, just exists to have to say, you don't really work for GM, you work for GM subsystems and your wages are lower, your insurance is worse. Everything about it is worse for you. So the problem they have right now is, you know, uh, two things. One, they can't get workers. They've eroded conditions so badly that some of these, you know, good old school auto jobs, you're now finding higher wages down the street at a fast food place than you would on the assembly line. And you have no real path from temporary to permanent status for a lot of these plants. Like you'll get hired as a temp for five years, three to five mm. years. Mm. Some places it goes longer than that. So they have an issue of just attracting workers, old school, you know, labor market stuff. And the other thing is that people somewhat from the pandemic, but also from this inflation crisis, you have people who the workers demands are already so much higher. So, so uh, uh, to go draconian with the demand, I mean, 5% feels draconian to people who just saw things, you know, see the, the, the inflation index go to 10 and 11. So you know, I think the the main thing that's stopping them from from that is the idea that we also have, you know, this this microchip shortage in this country that Congress is supposedly going to act on. But you've had plants in the big three that have been shut down. We had one in Kansas City shut down for seven months last year. You know, there's microchip shortage, there's worker shortage and this inflation crisis and the pandemic raising expectation on the worker side. It's just not tenable to come back with something like you would have 15 years ago. So I think the biggest thing that's stopping, you know, a hardcore employer offensive is that they already did that. They already won in a lot of ways. You know, um, the question is, you get one bite at the apple every three years in these negotiations. If you're a member, how far are you going to go? This is the John Deere question. People were saying. We want to go further because we don't get another shot at this for six years. So we need to get more than 10%. We need to get more than this, you know. You know, I just I want to push back just a little bit um, because I had the same feelings uh, in negotiations um, re uh, representing nurses, nurses. And you look across the country and the employers are doing exactly opposite than what me and you would think. They're not providing uh, uh, strong recruitment tools. They are going after health care. They are uh, proposing limited pay increases. It seems like they're doing everything they can to keep nurses from wanting to be in hospitals. Um, so that's my little pushback. I'm hoping you're right. I'm hoping the employers get a brain somewhere along the line and negotiate fair deals with the workers. But uh, the old the old school, the old lefty in me uh, and the old warrior uh, uh, is, is, is going to be putting on his uh, 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 war gear <laughs> getting ready for a fight. Well, oh, Jonah, sure. I, I want to ask too, though. What, what, what is? How, how can you be a temp for five years? That that just sounds crazy to me. Yeah, I mean, this is what happens when you you accept the premise that the employer needs cuts to keep to stay in business. You know, it's, it's ah, it I boggles see. the mind because you see, you look at their earnings every year, and they're always there's always earnings. You know, very rarely are they actually losing 
money, but they use this threat. They also do something in the in the auto industry in particular. I mean, they do this everywhere, but they call it whipsawing. They'll go to one plant and say, right. here's the deal. If you, t- if you will work weekends, we'll leave this product here. If not, we'll find another union plant that we will move the product to. So, you know, there's some retooling that needs to happen, but they can move, they're, they're building a truck here. They can move it to another plant that says, that has a local addendum to the agreement saying we'll take concessions. And especially with the electric vehicles, that's what we're seeing. We're seeing, they're saying we're transitioning to electric vehicles. We need you to take a special agreement for this transition. It doesn't have anything to do with the mechanics of the electric vehicle. It's just a, a carrot and a stick. They're saying, look, you might have 500 more jobs here. You might not. If you agree to a really sweet deal, we'll bring it to you. If not, and the problem is that, I mean, big picture with the national leadership, the reason it's connected is because you need a national leadership that is hard line. We're not letting anyone cut undercut. Your local plant can't agree to a, a worse agreement than this, even if they threaten X, Y, Z. Because once you start doing that, you have a race to the bottom inside the union. The threat is not that they're going to go to the South or go to Mexico. It's always on the table, but they have an issue of you're going to go to Indiana. That's, I mean, to another union plant. So they first need, you know, some program that says, stop the bleeding internally. Then we can figure out how we're going to do new organizing. But until you talk about that, you can't go to a non-union auto worker and say, hey, join the union. You'll make 15 bucks an hour. That's, you know, that's, it just doesn't scan. Which actually brings us uh, nicely circled back to Labor Notes. Uh, So just as we finish up this segment, um, I mean, a lot of what Labor Notes is about is is really getting those voices of the rank and file, because, you know, what you're talking about is is where you have locals fighting each other. Uh, And and so this is really a lot of your work and a lot of Labor Notes work is about giving voice and tools to those folks at the shop floor level uh, that they need to fight these fights, right? Exactly. I mean, the way you uh, protect against the worst sort of failures and the easiest way out of our union movement when we feel weak and feel we have to take some bad deal is an empowered membership that knows what what justice looks like, that has the tools to organize in their shop to say, we're not going to take this contract. We're not going to raid this other union. We're not going to quit the union. We are empowered, educated. And the way that happens is by looking worker to worker. We believe that, you know, members learn from each other. And often we feel siloed. You know, you have five union members in your shop and that's all you ever know. And your local meetings are nobody comes and there's just no resources out there for you to figure out what would it look like to have a labor movement that looks like it looked like in the 30s and in the 70s when there used to be activity. So a lot of what we're trying to do is just create that space where people feel safe to say, I want more out of the labor movement. I need tools to figure out how to do it. I want inspiration from connecting with other people. And I need a community of people that that are committed to this vision. So that's a lot of what we're trying to create. And on Saturday, you know, it's going to be transit workers, it's going to be teachers, it's going to be health care workers, it's going to be higher ed, it's going to be activists, there's going to be democratic socialists of America people there, there's going to be everyone who is at labor notes in in miniature will will be showing up and learning from each other. Um, and that's, that's what we're trying to create that kind of space. Miniature, in miniature, that, <laughs> that, that is reason enough to go. <laughs> Jonah Furman, thank you so much for being on the show. Can't wait to get a, a uh, after event report from you. So appreciate your, your talking to us today. Yeah, thanks for having me. Good to talk to you guys. 
All right. Zona Furman, he's staff writer and organizer at Labor Notes. Find out more at labornotes.org. The event again this Saturday, July 30th, 12 noon at Denizen's Brewing Company uh, over there on East West Highway in Silver Spring. Check it out. And that is going to have to do it for this week's edition of Your Rights at Work. Thanks so much to you all for spending this last hour with us. Really uh, great to have you all on board. Ed, great to see your smiling face. All righty, man. Take care, everybody. Always great to enjoy this hour. See you all next week. Take care. This is a public service announcement with guitar.